Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. And welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Mike Regan, and I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. And I'm Valdana Hyrick, a cross-asset reporter at Bloomberg. And this week on the show, well, whatever happened to that reopening trade that was supposed to lift all the stocks of the companies that would benefit when we all finally changed out of our sweatpants and got out of the house? Well, as the Delta variant of the virus rages, many of us are back to wearing sweatpants, and many of those stocks have been going sideways at best, for more than three months now. But we're going to talk to a fund manager who will explain why he's still sort of bullish on many of these type of companies. And we should listen to him. He's got a very strongly performing fund. And by the way, stick around till the end, because for some reason, Vildana is very excited to reveal the question that Jeffrey Gundlach is asked the most. I don't know why that is, Vildana, but you are very excited to reveal that. Well, you'll you'll hear it when when you hear it. It's very it's very fun. It's very fun. Okay, we, we like we like the fun stuff. Yeah, it's very fun. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, Vildana, before we bring the guest in, I've got a brief. Yeah, I know you like stories about when I was a young a young boy back in the eighteen hundreds. So I, I've got one for you about my dad, Pops Regan, who he had a famous catchphrase, which was. The black and whites never lie. And what he meant by the black and whites was the re- the report cards we'd bring home. You know, my dad had six kids, uh, all boys, but one girl. And the black and whites were our report card. So if he was saw us loafing around the house or, or goofing around and not studying, he'd be like, oh, how's school going? And we'd be like, oh, pops, it's going great. What are you worried about? And he'd say, well, the black and whites don't lie. Because obviously back then we only had black and white. They they hadn't inv- invented color yet. yet yeah, you know. I got that. Yeah, you got that. So I think of this every time we have a fund manager on because I love to look at their performance and I say, you know, the black and whites don't lie there either. So this week's guest, I think Pops Regan would be proud of. Uh, Core portfolio fund uh, really killing the S&P 500 up almost uh, 26% for the year. In the 94th percentile of peer funds uh, year to date, 91st percentile over, over three years. So, uh, you know, Pops would be proud, Vildana. And I'm also excited because I know he went to the University of Pennsylvania uh, in Philadelphia, which means not only will he reveal his stock picks, but hopefully he'll reveal his cheesesteak picks as well. Yeah. So I do want to bring the guests in. It's Andrew Sliman. He's the managing director and he's a senior portfolio manager at Morgan Stanley Investment Management, and I'm thrilled to have him on the show this week. Uh, And I know, Andrew, uh, you've written quite a bit uh, recently, and and you and I have chatted in the past before, but I do want to start out asking you about um, some of your your strategies and the way you're thinking about the market. I know in a recent note, you had said that bond yields uh, traditionally bottom in August, and then they rise in the fourth quarter and that the markets tend to get some sort of unfounded growth scare in the summer months. Then we'll see the economy 
reaccelerating in the fourth quarter. So can you maybe walk us through your thinking and through your strategy? Sure. Happy. Thank you. Happy to happy to do it. Thanks for having me on. But before I start, we just have to get one thing straight. It's Abner's. It's definitely Abner's. Abner's was my favorite cheesesteak place. Okay, In fact, good. I brought my kids to see the school. I got a couple of years ago, and I think we spent more time at Abner's than we did walking around. <laughs> I spent a lot of time at that place, Kavanaugh's. I don't know if that was uh, there's uh, th- that was famous. Phil Donna had had a mug night where you could bring in any mug that you want. So there's a competition to see who could bring in the biggest mug and they, they would fill it up. Guys would bring in like Stanley cup size, size mugs to fill this. It, place, fill it up so. with what? With, with uh, your beverage of choice. I uh, see. Ours would be cold, cheap draft beer, but it, you know, you could fill it up with uh, a fruit juice, I guess, if you want. So uh, let me just jump to interest rates. Um, I'm amazed at how markets there's a consistency to markets. We get a growth scare, usually in the summer. It happens over and over. Rates come down in the middle of the summer, and then they start to lift uh, going into the fourth quarter. And this is this is exactly what's happened this time. Rates bottomed on August 3rd. The 10-year bottom of 117 August 3rd, and the 10 years back up to uh, 133 today, the yield curve flattened all through the spring and now starting to re-steepen. So I think what's interesting, fasc- what fascinates me is that um, the financial markets predicted a slowdown starting in the spring. And then we got the economic data that validated it this summer. And now the financial markets are starting to predict a, an improvement in the fourth quarter, but we haven't had the economic data to validate it yet. It, I'm fascinated by that type of seasonality thing that you see every now and then. I've noticed it with the economic surprise indexes too. They always tend to bottom out in the in the summer, meaning you know the the data is missing estimates by the most of the year in the summer. I wonder if there's some human nature thing that you know causes economists to be very optimistic at the beginning of the year and then, you know, come, come to their senses. But, you know, Andrew, to, to bring it back to the fund, um, you know, that notion about rates creeping up, I wonder is, is that sort of uh, playing a large role in, into the picks in the fund? You know, I notice a, a pretty decent heavyweight to banks and, and diversified financials. Um, is it that simple that that macro input or, or these sort of idiosyncratic reasons why you're, you're in each of these, uh, you know, a couple of regional banks? I noticed First Republic, uh, SVB, Ameriprise. Is that part of it or, or is there other stories as well? Yeah, well, well look, I'm a <clears throat> so I went to Penn, but I also went to University of Chicago. So I've got a little bit of a quant bend as well. And I know that what defines a stock's performance is not only their fundamental what's going on at the company level, but also their quantitative factor exposure. And those stocks that you all listed are value stocks and they benefit from rising rates. And one of the reasons why we're having a very good year in our fund is simply that going into the spring, we were concerned about a seasonal slowdown in the economy. And so we downshifted some of those value names a little bit, and we increased our exposure to a little bit more of the risk off the the defensive type names, and that worked very well. But at, at, at now at, we're at a juncture where we're going the other way. So we've increased those positions a little bit 
because we're anticipating that we get to the fourth quarter and then the economic data will say, oh, it, it's not so bad. You know, the economy is picking up and it's no different. You mentioned, Michael, early on the reopening stuff. They they did great last year into the spring. And then we also reduced those in anticipation that maybe in the summer we could have a little bit more of a risk off scenario. So I would not be selling those stocks right now. But having said that, we've actually been more confident in the rising rate environment than the reopening trade. So I think financials and then secondly, energy will be the, the two best performing in the fourth quarter. That would be my you know, area. So then can I ask, actually ask you to, to expand a bit on what your thinking is around value stocks? Uh, because I know in one of your recent reports, you had written that when value outperforms growth overall, growth does tend to outperform for a little bit of that cycle, for just uh, enough to sort of shake out the non-believers, I believe you said. So can you walk us through that? Sure. Yeah. So look, coming out of a recession, right, value stocks are cyclical. So they always get beaten down in recessions worse than growth stocks and defensive stocks. And then you get to a juncture somewhere in the middle of recessions where people say, oh, wait, and not every cyclical stock is going to fail. And they have a significant bounce back, rally back because they're so cheap. And we saw it in the recession 90. We saw it in 2000. We saw it in uh, 2009. These stocks came back strong. And um, the average value cycle lasts about 33 months. We're you know, 12 months in. However, of those 33 months, about 11 of those months, on average, growth actually outperforms value. So you ha- it's not a straight line back up. It, it, there is uh, twists and turns. And so I think at the very least, and again, I'm a core manager. I'm not here to just sell value strategies. I'm a core manager. I'm just trying to figure out where the fat pitch is. And what I see is that value has made its way back up, but it's still pretty cheap versus growth. Now, I happen to believe that not only will value reprice back to where it normally is, but I think that the change in the tone out of the Fed could lead to a period of time where value outperforms growth for an extended period of time the way it did in the 90s. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. I, you know, I was going to ask you about that because it, you know, it sounded like you were doing some some very tactical type of adjustments there in the middle of the year. Um, uh, 
you know, is is that a, sort of a byproduct of the boom and bust COVID era that you have to be more tactical than you than you maybe would otherwise? Or, or were you guys always that sort of, uh, you know, uh, attuned to trying to time um, outperformance within within any given year? Yeah. So, look, I, I'm a long equity manager, so I don't go to cash because what I've learned is, you know, so you raise 5% cash, the market goes down a lot, you're going to lose money, right? And so the way we adjust is our, the beta, the risk in the portfolio. And what I've learned in this business from being in a long time is you want to lower the risk in the summer. Summer just always seems we get these growth scares. We And yes, the S&P didn't really go down this summer, but a lot of stocks in the S&P went down a lot. And yeah. so I just know that to reduce the risk and the reopening trades and the value trades, they tend to have more risk than the defensives and some of the very mega cap tech stocks. So that's just a seasonal bet that this time was not different and turned out to be you know, the right call. And I also know that the fourth quarter, once you know it's still mid-September, once we get through this period, um, you know, the market tends to do well kind of you know, mid-October until mid-December. And I think earnings are going to be strong. So the setup is there once again. Um, that seasonality, I think, is going to work this year like it has so far. Can I ask you to expand on that as well? Because one of the things I wanted to get your thoughts on is what's actually keeping dip buyers alive. So a lot of people had predicted that the summer would be choppy. August wasn't as terrible as many had projected. But is it purely technical that we haven't really had a 5% pullback in so long? I think it's been more than 200 days. Or are there actually some real fundamental underpinnings for that? Yeah, great question. So first of all, again, the cap weighted S&P is at a high because uh, those big, very big stocks are a little bit lower beta. They're lower risk. They they can survive a low growth environment. So I think that really held up. The S and P 100 outperformed the rest of the 400 this summer. So that's held up the the S and P. But I think there's two key reasons why we haven't had a pullback. Number one is is that. We're, we're all talking about how strong the market is price-wise this year. But I think what we spent less time discussing is that actually the fundamentals are is, have changed as good as the market has gone up. In other words, if I dialed the clock back to the beginning of this year and I took the Wall Street consensus, how much is the S&P going to earn this year? It was $165 a share. That's the Wall Street consensus of all the stocks in the S&P 500. That number is now at $201. So Wall Street has been uh, too bearish by the magnitude of about 20%. And lo and behold, the stock market's up by 20%. So I think that's good earnings reports. I've, you know, I've not, I, you know, I've been in this business long enough to know that when companies exceed estimates, stocks don't go down for long. And when companies miss estimates, stocks don't go up for long, right? It's a very simple rule. But, you know, that that's the first thing. Number two is, I think the other thing that's going on, and, and you know, again, we talk to advisors, we talk to investors in our funds. And if I dial the clock back to last year about this time, the call that we were getting from investors and from advisors were, I have clients that think they want to get out of the market. 
because again, again, this is last year at this time, because the markets had a big rally off the low. There's going to be a COVID re-outbreak in the fall, and they think we're going to have a double dip, so they want to get out, right? That was the call that we were getting over and over last year. We're not getting that call right now. The call we're getting is, when is a pullback coming? I have so much cash you know, on my books. And so what I see happening is that when the market pulls back, we're getting money into our funds, right? We're getting money that's coming in because people are trying to buy the dips. So um, that I think is another thing that's supporting the market. And I guess if I had to throw a third is, you know, the Fed hasn't changed policy yet. Don't fight the Fed. Boy, oh boy, has that worked? So I think those are the key. Fundamentals are better. There's a lot of liquidity and the Fed's still your friend. You know, I, I wanted to ask you about that. It's, it's a great point you make because, you know, we can all analyze to death the fundamentals of the economy and, and all the companies. But there is that other side of the equation, and, and that's the fundamentals of the investing class, you know, uh, whether, whether it be individual investors or, you know, institutional money or even companies themselves that have sort of beefed up their balance sheets, uh, you know, sort of preparing for anything uh, last year and now maybe have uh, some more cash uh, to buy back shares. Does that go into your thinking much, you know, as far as, you know, look at the the personal savings rate in the U.S. last year just went absolutely through the roof. So, you know, when you look at, you know, de- deposits at commercial banks or the money is sitting in, in uh, money market funds that's just doing nothing. You know, does that influence sort of your your uh, opinion on where the market's going is is the fundamentals of the investor class uh, and, and perhaps explain why maybe it, when you reflect back then on the, the fundamentals of the market itself that they could, you know, those ratios that we all sort of have our eyes glued on could get stretched beyond what might otherwise be considered reasonable because there is all this cash sitting around. Well, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot in that question. <laughs> That's my specialty, Andrew. I, I, I pack it in there. Yeah, you say you packed it. You, you started with corporate, and I want to just touch that. I do think that if, if fundamentals of corporations at the earnings level is great because they're just buying back a lot of stock, I don't think that the market will reward that as much as revenue growth. So first of all, what I see is strong revenue growth. But as it pertains to the individual, I wouldn't necessarily bank on just because there's a lot of cash, it means you can't have a market go down. But I think that that plays into why we're not getting this you know, 10% plus correction because there's too much cash out there. So I think, you know, to me, the most important thing is really follow the fundamentals of companies. And I just think that we're going to have, you know, we've had a great second quarter and I've learned, I look, there's no question costs are going up, but what I hear when we talk to companies and we listen to companies, I'm almost shocked at how cavalier they are. We're going to pass on those cost increases. So there's this, this very high level confidence that as consumers, we're all going to pay higher prices. Um, and so I don't think that third quarter is going to be disappointing because I think companies will pass on the cost. And secondly, maybe this is just a little bit cynical. I've learned in this business, if a company blows out a quarter, they always leave something in the tank. They all have got, you know, they got a little extra. So they're not going to go from great earnings in the second quarter to completely miss third quarter. So I think the revisions are going up. 
And to the extent that your question is you have consumer buying power, that kind of supports a market price. Now, let's face it, with the 10-year at 1.33%, the multiple in the market could be much higher than it is. But I think what the market is saying is, well, we know that's a little bit artificial. We know that the Fed's been buying. Rates are probably should be higher if it wasn't for the Fed. So I think that, you know, the, that that's that's you know that that certainly supports the market where it is. But I'm 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 I, I think people focus a lot on stock prices, right? Because you know, look, Michael, if you go, you know, you go to the, you go to an auto dealership, you get in the car, you can try the car out. If you go to the supermarket, you can smell the food and look at it. But we, you know, stock prices are a line item in a statement. So we spend a lot more time on price discovery and less on fundamental discovery. And that's the point is that coming out of recessions, companies tend to do better than what Wall Street thinks. And if stock price is the present value of future expectations, I just think stock companies are doing better than what's expected. And until proven otherwise, that's going to drive the market higher. And if you've got this liquidity behind it, that's going to push, continue to push stocks higher. I know you mentioned earnings revisions have been trending higher. There's a couple of examples of companies that have revised guidance lower. And then at the same time, I keep seeing all of these surveys from portfolio managers who are downgrading their views on growth. So I'm wondering what you might say to somebody who is looking through the rest of the year and is thinking that growth could be slowing or, or won't be as robust as maybe they had thought earlier this year. My response is they might be right, but they haven't been right so far. I mean, I, I, you know, like I'm not, you know, it's like the report card, the black and white report card, you know, like this is, uh, you know, all I'm doing is looking at the revisions that come out every week and the revisions keep bubbling up. So people that have predicted that revisions are going, are peaking and they're going to head down. They haven't been right so far. They haven't been right. And so, Am, you know, am I smart enough to know what when that will happen? I don't think so. But I also know that they haven't been very smart in predicting that. So until proven otherwise, and listening to companies and the what the confidence that they are exuding, I, I'm I'm going to bet that we're not done with this. And don't forget, when you get to the end of this year, the the market won't worry about 2021 estimates, they will begin to price off 2022. And I think that will further justify it. Look, doesn't mean you can't have corrections. I mean, we could have a correction here, but I think with positive revisions and strong fundamentals and liquidity behind it, it sets up for a very good fourth quarter. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management 
to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. All right, Andrew. Uh, you know, in the press, we we I think we're the biggest culprit of uh, of building the wall of worry in the market, so to speak. So uh, let me lay out every brick or, or some of the main bricks of the wall of worry. Let me know if, if any of them are, are spooking you or, or sort of how you would uh, think about what the main risks are. Obviously, you mentioned tapering in the Fed. That's coming. That's that's one of them. Um, the the tailwind from fiscal policy uh, is also sort of wearing off. You know, the enhanced unemployment benefits are are going away. The uh, foreclosure moratoriums, all that type of thing. Um, obviously, we got the debt ceiling issue coming again, uh, and we've got COVID flaring up again. Um, any of these keeping you you awake at night, or or even ones I didn't mention? I always, well, first of all, kind of geopolitics are really hard to predict. And could that come out of, you know, the blue and that that could be an issue? Yes. Um, I think oil actually at 72, 72 is no big deal, but you start to get another 10 bucks higher and, you know, higher oil prices can slow economy very quickly. So that, that to me would be, um, a bigger risk. I happen to think that tapering is going to be so slow and so minute. So they're going to buy a little less bonds than they were before. That this is this is we're going to have by the time it actually happens, we're going to have tapering exhaustion. Um, and so I don't I don't think that would be an issue if the economy came on too strong and rates went up too quickly. That could cause a jolt. So I think there are worries. I've learned that kind of political issues that come out of the blue, they tend to happen in the summer. Another reason why it's risk off. Um, so, I, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm, I think we're not through this period of that's typically not a great seasonality for the market. So we could have a, a pullback. I just, I, I struggle to see a reason for it, but then you know, that's what happens. It's the that's unknown. The, that, yeah, that's, that's the unknown. That's, but I don't fiscal policy. Look, corporate taxes are, you know, could be going up next year. But then I look at the rate of increase for next year. It hasn't been as strong as this year. So is that embedded? And, you know, as I said before, um, a lot of the infra- industrials, they haven't seen an increase from potentially an infrastructure bill. So that that could help. So there are all sets there to, you know, higher corporate tax. Let me unpack one thing you mentioned there, and that's the, the geopolitics. Um, something that's sort of amazed me is watching what's happened in China this year. Um, and obviously, their U.S. listed equities just getting clobbered. Uh, that NASDAQ Golden Dragon Index I, I down something like 50% on the year, just absolutely fried. Um, and I know you, in the fund, in the core portfolio fund, you got a little bit of uh, MGM in there. They had some news this week with the crackdown on Macau. Um, to me, so far, that seems to be the only thing that's really caught some U.S. names up in this chi- China drama. I, 
I, given everything else we've talked about, I, I guess that shouldn't be too surprising. But boy, a couple of years ago, if we had talked about this kind of hard landing happening in China, I, I think all of our our eyes would have fallen out of our heads. I mean, is is this a risk that's maybe not being appreciated with Evergrande and 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 all the regulatory crackdowns going on in China? Is is that a risk to the U.S. in, in your opinion? I think it's a risk to investors. I'm not sure it's as risk to uh, the U.S., but to the extent that you have U.S. companies or European, there's a lot of European luxury goods companies that have high exposure to China, uh, and MGM you listed is not one of them, then they are very vulnerable if you have, you know, this rolling regulatory crackdown. So, you know, my, my first piece of advice is make sure, you know, what you own and make sure they don't have too much China exposure. Now, having said that, um, look, this is not the first time that you've had a regulatory crackdown in China. And it happened in 2018. It happened in 2015. Maybe this is Maybe this is more difficult, um, but I'll tell you, when I hear people say China is uninvestable, it usually comes when the stocks are down 40 or 50 percent. <laughs> and that has created a very good opportunity to invest, assuming you have the right time frame, assuming you have a strong stomach and steely nerves and you're not going to be frightened out of the headlines. But I would be very careful because you got to make sure you don't have too many because, you know, to say, put a stake in the ground, say today's the bottom. I think it's tough. So we've laid out all of these different worries, whether it be rising oil prices or China or whatever else. Is there one thing that can throw the rally off course? I think if you got rates that went up too quickly, that would be the biggest that would unnerve uh, markets. And I think it would unnerve the, the, the heavily weighted growth. You know, the S&P is a growth index, right? And so if you have rates to go up quickly, it would unnerve the S&P as it's weighted now in, in growth stocks. I'm not sure it would kill financials or energy materials, but I think it would hurt the S&P. And to me, that is the risk is investors, because of the last, you know, since the great financial crisis, investors are way overweight in growth stocks. And understandable. They've been the winners and no one wants to sell them because they've been the winners. And so the biggest risk to investors is rising rates, rising inflation would stunt the, you know, the, the returns in the growth areas. And that's where everyone is you know, very, very overweight. But I, I just got to tell you a great story before I finish. So if you dial the clock back to about last year at this time, right, it was right about now that we, the kind of the vaccine news started to come out. And that's when value stocks started to outperform growth stocks. And you had a big rally in those stocks until March, end of March. But in the month of March, more money came out of growth strategies than went into value strategies. So just as value rolls over relative to growth, that's when the money pours into value. And now you fast forward today and I'm saying, hey, wait, rates are starting to go up. The yield curve starts steepening, but you know what? 
money is now poured back into growth strategies. So I think it is a great example of watch the messages of the market. They will lead the economic data and they will lead the emotional quotient of investors. It all comes back to how long is transitory, I feel like, is the, the question on everyone's mind. No one seems to know, but it seems, it seems like it may be a little longer than we had first, first thought, I guess. Uh, exactly. Stand clear of the craziest things we saw in markets this week. All right, Fultana, it, it's the time you've been waiting for. I, what is the best John, question Jeff Gunlock gets all the time? I, I got to know. Well, this is actually my weirdest thing. Okay. Okay, so we will go right into our craziest things of the week then. That's Let's right. Let's hear it. Yeah. So I was covering the Gunlock webcast earlier this week, and he went through a ton of different things related to the market. And then he said, okay, here's our last question. This is my most frequently asked question. Do you want to guess what it's about? Uh, I could guess, but I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble with Jeff Gunlock. I, I, uh... How the Buffalo Bills are going to do this. Year. That's right. Yes. How the Buffalo Bills are going to do. That's pretty good. Yes. Which I love because we're huge Buffalo Bills fans in my household. And so I got really excited about that. But then I was thinking about how many people are following what Jeff Gunlock is saying and how many of them are Buffalo Bills fans for that to be the most frequently asked question he gets. That's pretty good. And did anyone ask, does he dive off of the top of a minivan onto one of those tables like those guys? You oh, my gosh. Oh, I, I always love to see those. Um, but <laughs> anyway, he he said, I, I think he closed off the webcast saying he is bullish on the Buffalo Bills, which <laughs> that's I uh, just love he's that. A per, he's a permable. On oh, them, yeah. I think. On uh, the Bills. A permabill, as it were. We'll have to check, see if there's a correlation between their record and his his performance. I don't know. I don't know. That's pretty good. All right. I, I'll give it to you, Valdana. That's a pretty good one. How about you, Andrew? You see anything crazy in markets these days? Well, I just, you know, the crazy thing we've already addressed is I see sentiment is, you know, the bull bear sentiment is now negative. Uh, uh, there's a lot of discussion on correction and worries about the economy. But the weirdest thing is, then why are rates going up? Why is the yield curve steepening? Why is energy prices going up? Why are materials doing well? So the weirdest thing is it's just this, this, you know, there's this disjointed between emotionally what people are saying and what the markets are. Right. right. Maybe, maybe I'm a geek and that's not weird enough, but. No, no, I, I like it. I think it's pretty. I mean, I always it always comes back to that. Is it supply or demand issue in the oil market? You know, we are coming through this hurricane season and 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 the supply was knocked off course. So it, it, it I, I wonder if. Everyone seems to realize that, but yet is, is oil still capable of sending a false signal uh, about I think inflation? it is. I think your answer is absolutely right. And, and that's why I am more, we have a bigger weight in financials than energy because I've learned that the energy market can send off false signals. But when I look at that and then I look at other things like, well, you know, like the semiconductor industry, that's a great cyclical, that's hitting a new time high. So it's, you know, it, when I line it up, it falls into place, but I wouldn't hang my hat just on that for just the reason that you say is, you know, we can have a, a recovery. I can be right. And the economy can be better in the fourth quarter. But if OPEC decides to open the floodgates, then I'll be wrong on that, yeah. even if the economy recovers. So I'll always be a little wary of, of uh, just looking at energy price. Yeah. Or even the U.S. frackers turning on the spigots more once it, you know, it's uh, it seems like there's a, a built in uh, ceiling on oil prices. I 
Famous last words. I know I probably shouldn't say that. that we'll probably see $200 a barrel. It's a great saying, which I love, which no one knows nothing about energy prices, which is, <laughs> you know, there's nothing, nothing solved high energy prices like high energy prices, you know, so once they get to a certain level, they head down and then they, you know, so yeah. I, you know, but, but yeah. within a context of a group of indicators, I think it's, I think it's interesting right now. Yeah. All right. That's pretty good. All right. I'll give you my crazy thing uh, before we get out of here. Um, this is a Bloomberg story that came out on Thursday. You know, we talked about this carnage in the uh, China tech stocks, especially. So, um, you know, we well, on the terminal, we keep a compilation of the billionaires of the world and, and an estimate of what their net worth is uh, for any, any given year. So the billionaire who lost the most money this year, uh, not surprisingly, in China, uh, Colin Huang, uh, founder of Pinduoduo, uh, Chinese e-commerce e platform. He's down big this year. And this is where we get to play a little bit of prices right, Vildana. How much do you think the, the biggest loss among billionaires, this guy Colin Huang, is, is this year? How much do you think he lost? I saw you tweet about this, but I have to admit I wasn't paying close attention. That's, yeah, that's kind of our relationship, yeah, I think, to a Yeah, I there. was. I yeah. should have paid attention. Um, yeah. okay. I'm just, I'm going to throw out 3 billion. 3 billion. All right. I'm going to keep a poker face. Uh, Andrew, what do you think? Uh, market cap. I think that's probably close. Maybe 5 billion. $28 billion. Oh my gosh. The guy's guy stake in that company is huge. I think it's like wow. 20, 30% or something like that. How'd you like to go home and explain to your wife you lost twenty eight billion and uh, cancel cancel those renovation plans? I think he's still worth a good thirty five billion, so I'm not that worried about him. But wow, and there's a bunch of others. There's t uh, ten billion plus losses uh, all over the place there, and it uh, wow, what what a, uh, a dramatic story that's been in China. It's really been fascinating. I will throw out one thing: is uh, some of these companies are starting to buy back their stock. Yeah. And if you look back to 2018, their timing was pretty good on buying back the stock. And if they thought they were about to get fined a big another amount, I question whether they'd be buying back their stock. So that's true. It does not that's necessarily true. mean the bottom's in place. Be careful. But right. usually they do have a history of kind of starting to step in at a good time. And the stocks are down a lot. Huh. That's interesting. What a That's great good. tidbit. Be, yeah. Might be a story for you there, Vildana. See, you pay attention to him, but not just oh, not yeah. to me. Oh, see yeah. how it works. All right. Well, Andrew, so nice to have you. Hopefully we can do it again. Absolutely. Good. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Andrew. What Goes Up? We'll be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Reganonymous. Vildana Hyrick is at Vildana Hyrick. You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. And thank you to Charlie Pellet of Bloomberg Radio and the voice of the New York City subway system. What Goes Up is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.